listening to the On the NBA Beat podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. Bryant to shot. LeBron James with no regard for human life. Jordan. Oh, a spectacular move by Michael Jordan. And now, your hosts. Lauren Lee Chen, and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. It's Aaron Fishman coming in hot with a glorious episode devoted to the Greek freak himself, Milwaukee Bucks star forward Giannis Adedekunpa. This Giannis exploration was made possible by Eric Nain, Bucks beat reporter for ESPN Milwaukee and co-host of the Locked On Bucks podcast. Before we get more into this, I'd like to implore you to find our show on Apple Podcasts, rate us, and please leave a brief review. This much-appreciated act allows us to reach new basketball-loving audiences as we continue on our journey. But back to Eric and our fun fact for him. As a high school junior, he bravely took a charge from current Texans defensive end J.J. Watt, who was playing for an opposing high school team in the same conference. Eric, who was 6'2 and 165 pounds at the time, so not small but also nowhere near the size of J.J. Watt, got the call, he shook it off, and then proceeded to store away that memory where he could access it for the rest of his life. We're excited to bring you our interview, which is, again, all about Giannis, who's transformed his body and skills to the extent that he's currently regarded as a legitimate MVP candidate this season. Once the darling of basketball Twitter and only those who followed the NBA extremely closely, this season Giannis has become a full-blown star to the casual fan. This episode is for the peripheral fan looking to gain a better understanding of the Greek freak, as much as it is for the Giannis fanatic who can't get enough content about the 22-year-old Bucks superstar. We'll delve into all kinds of topics, including how he's gotten to this point, the impact his upbringing and family have had on his evolution, and when we can expect him to develop a reliable three-point shot. All that and more, just ahead. Eric, it's great to have you on. I'm very happy to be here. It's always fun to get to talk to more people about Giannis and everything that he does here in Milwaukee. Yeah, I'm sure you spend all day, every day, probably talking and writing about him, but I'm guessing it doesn't get old, right? He still keeps it pretty interesting. Uh, every year he's adding something new and he's always, I mean, he j- just has a great personality as well. So that makes my life a whole lot easier. That's really great to hear. We'll get more into all of that. Just first, I want to take it back to the very beginning of his NBA career in 2013 after David Stern called his name, not a lot of fans, I'm assuming, had heard of this mysterious lanky kid from Greece. He was the number 15th overall pick, so not even a lottery selection. What was your reaction to that selection? I think I'm generally just kind of ambivalent towards draft picks in that I don't think we ever really know what what that person's going to be. And I think in Milwaukee, it was especially just kind of interesting just because John Hammond never really picked people that you thought he was going to pick. He would always go off the board. So it's always kind of been a running joke when John Hammond was around, like, okay, let's see if we can find the guy with the longest arms. Let's see if we can find the guy that is super young, like the three quarter court time. That's always one that 
Bucks draft picks had done really well in. Um, I know Larry Sanders was really good at that one. And you would always just kind of go through that checklist and then you would look around wherever they were drafting that year and say, okay, do any of those guys have that? And most years it would be no. And so then you'd have to think, okay, well, maybe to us from the outside, this is a reach, but this guy marks off a number of those boxes. So maybe that would be a guy. So going into the draft, I don't, I think I'm trying to think who I wanted to fall to them. Um, but when they picked Giannis Adetokounmpo, it was, it was not something I was mad about. It wasn't something I was angry about. I don't know if it was something I was happy about, excited about. It was just kind of their draft pick. And I know some Bucks fans were kind of in on it from the beginning. Um, one of our old podcasting friends, Jeremy Schmidt, over at Bucksketball, he was really excited about it. And there were some people that thought that. And then there were some other people that thought the Bucks just wasted a draft pick. So, so for me, with John Hammond, he'd hit on a number of those guys, at least finding somewhat useful, long, lanky guys kind of in those areas that you probably thought to yourself, okay, this can end up working out and it can be fine. But it wasn't something that I thought, oh, this guy's a future superstar. And I, I didn't necessarily think, oh, this guy's going to be a total bust either. It was, it was just right. kind of a wait and see approach. And as of late, Mark Cuban, among others, has caught some flack for not taking onto Takumpo, whether it was to save money or whatever the reason was. The Mavericks had the 13th pick that year. And there's guys like Bruno Caboclo, the Brazilian KD, allegedly. We're still waiting to see that. He's still very young. But obviously, these dra high draft picks don't always pan out, especially players whom you haven't seen much footage on. But Giannis has officially arrived this year, if you don't count previous years, but especially now becoming more known to the casual, the peripheral fan, I think, of the NBA he quickly earned the moniker of the Greek freak. I love that nickname. I think in large part because a lot of people couldn't pronounce his last name. <laughs> I just It's just such a cool nickname. What percentage do you think of NBA fans in general now that he's all over SportsCenter and he's in MVP discussion, still can't pronounce his name, do you think? Oh, I think it's a, it's a large majority probably 70% still. And, and again, it's because his name has kind of gone such a strange translation a number of times because it's gone from a more African name. And if you see some of the original spellings of his name, I think it's A-D-E-T-O-K-U-N-B-O. And that's a Adetokumbo. And that was more of the African spelling. Then it became more of the Greek spelling. And then the pronunciation didn't really change as it went through those different translations, and then it ends up with a A-N-T-E-T-O-K-O-U-N-M-B-O, but there's still a D sound at the start of it. So I guess it's such a worldly name, which is a strange thing to say about a name because it should come from one place, but it's gone through so many translations and migrations that I think it still trips people up because there's a letter D at, to start it, a Dedekumbo, and... There's no D in it in the way that it's spelled. So, um, and there's no B to end it, and you end it with a bow. Uh, so, I just think it's it's a name that's really difficult for people one to pronounce, and then two to pronounce upon seeing how it's how it's spelled. Right. So, um, I would say a large majority still get it wrong. And I say Antetokounmpo, which I, I guess isn't exactly correct. It's it's closer 
than what some may say, but I I still have some work to do. As I say, the one that gets me is if you put a G on us on it, then I'm mad. I heard Kobe Bryant say that in an interview, and I was was wondering, whoa, he doesn't know. It's very popular. A lot of people put a G at the front of it, so it'll be Giannis. And that one makes me mad because it is clearly Giannis. There's no debate over that one. Like, if you get the last name wrong, okay. As long as you try it, I'm okay with you. Actually, maybe not. (laughs) Sometimes there can be some Adana Rumbo or whatever it was from Billy King, I think. Um, But there's some bad ones out there. But at the same time, it's Giannis. Don't get that first name wrong. I appreciate you incorporating linguistics into this too. It's really cool. My podcast partner, Frank, would be so proud of me. This is like his street. He loves talking about uh, when we get into a draft, like making sure people were saying Yaka Pudel, right? Like not, no Purtle. Like yeah, he, he's yeah. very much into that. So I would be, I wouldn't be representing our brand correctly if I didn't come on here and worry about translations and pronunciations. Yeah. Former guest of ours, Frank Madden, by the way, great guest. So one more thing about that nickname before I cede to Lauren. How great is that nickname? It seems like it's just so fitting and memorable and unique. It it really is perfect. And there was a part of me that kind of didn't love it at the start, just because I think freak, like the connotation of freak, like there's something wrong with you. Like there's there's something to be ashamed about. Because I guess at some point I thought he was going to fit into a prototypical kind of archetype of an NBA player. That hasn't happened. <laughs> he He's a total anomaly. So calling him something not normal, yeah, that works out. Um, so originally, I didn't love it just because I, I think the word freak can be a little bit hurtful and maybe yeah, not... Like a pejorative kind of... Yeah. yeah. I think he's owned it, though, and, and just made it his. Absolutely. He's definitely made it his. And until he looks like any other basketball player, well... I think it's going to fit. I'm looking at his basketball reference page right now. Um, Just had it up in front of me as we were talking. And it lists his position as small forward and point guard and power forward and shooting guard. Wow. Okay. You might as well add center because he's been playing some of that too. So there's not anyone else really out there like him. Uh, So I think Greek Freak works and it fits and it's ended up being kind of perfect. So for those NBA fans who haven't necessarily seen a Bucks game recently and have just seen these gaudy numbers coming out of Giannis, what in particular do you think makes him so difficult to defend and so good this season? I think the thing that continues to make Giannis special is that you can't keep him away from the rim. And it shouldn't add up that way. Like he's still not a good shooter. You should be able to keep him out of the paint you should be able to keep him away from the rim and you just can't. And he's continued to get better. And I've cited this stat a couple of times on Twitter, but this year, and it was even higher at the start of the year, this year he has 19.6 points per game in the paint. In the paint. So 19.6 of his points come in the paint. Those are numbers that haven't, no one's reached that high of a number. That 20 plus mark hasn't been reached since Shaq, like prime Shaq, like 01, 02, 02, 03, uh, 99, 2000, like those years of Shaq, that's the last time someone's gone 20 plus. Like even bigs, guys that you think that live at the rim, DeAndre Jordan, Boogie, whoever whoever you may want to say lives there, he's up and above them. And you look at the second place guy this year, it's LeBron at 15.9. So just kind of think about 
how imposing it is when you play LeBron and how you feel like he's such a freak of nature and then add another four points per game in the paint. Like it, it, it just doesn't add up. And what makes it so special is that he doesn't need to get a screen to get him into the post. He doesn't need someone to pass him the ball. Like he's gotten so good at this that if he wants to back you down from the three point line, he's going to back you down from the three point line. If you give him 10 feet of space, well, he's going to use that 10 feet of space the same way that uh, a triple jumper would use the run up to get ready for those steps. And then he's going to hit you with triple jump steps because uh, I know Chris Herring noted it earlier this year. His stride is like 20% longer than anyone else in the league once he gets going. And there's just not a great way to attempt to slow him down. And obviously without the jumper, you think, oh, just give him space. But one thing I always hear opposing coaches talk about is angles. He's able to create angles with you. And I think when you give him that big runway to start, the angles just become larger. He he can use those angles even more to his advantage. So the only thing you can do right now is send multiple bodies at him. And even in games this year, we've seen him pivot and drop step and pivot again and pump fake and then dunk on three guys on your team. <laughs> I know there was a hilarious highlight against the Hawks this year where there was literally four guys on him and it ended up in a two-handed dunk. It, it, what, like what? Like how does that happen? That just shouldn't be possible. So um, he's just he's just an absolute force this year. It has grown, uh, I don't want to say even more difficult or impossible, but I, I just don't really know that there's there's a good way to go about stopping him this year. And I've always said this is kind of as we're looking at the next evolutionary players, like the next batch of those is, well, I've always put him above Carl Anthony Towns because Towns needs someone to get him the ball. Like he's not also playing point guard. So when you just add that to the most dominant paint players since Shaq, like (laughs) how do you stop it? How, How do you attempt to slow that down? Yeah, and since Giannis entered the NBA, he's undergone a tremendous physical transformation. He's added a ton of muscle to his frame, going from that skinny, lanky kid to this guy who, as you said, is able to thrive in the paint and put up with a beating. He's actually also grown several inches as well. Each season, he seems to be adding new skills and new abilities to his game. Can you help us step through his progression of step-by-step what he's added to his skill set and how his physical transformation has helped that? Sure. I I can attempt to do that. Um, I I think with the physical attributes, the three I always circle. And um, before I started at ESPN Milwaukee, I was over at Milwaukee Magazine. And a story I'd written there was on one of Giannis's first breakouts. I circled three things. It's pace, strength, and balance. And when you're thinking about Giannis progressing each year, it's him being able to manipulate those things better. So his rookie year, he came in and he was just kind of going at one pace all the time. Like he he was trying really hard and he was going as fast as he could, but that just kind of meant at times he would be going too fast or that meant uh, at times that he would just run into things or he wouldn't be able to necessarily set the floor or understand when he should be cutting or when he should be attacking the glass or or when he should be passing or whatever it may be. Now you're seeing him in the last three years really start to manipulate pace. You're seeing hesitation moves. You're seeing a push and transition. You're seeing just 
really a greater idea of finding two speeds. And that's something when we talk about basketball players, once you can figure out how to go at two different speeds, you can really start to work on and manipulate defenders. And this year, I think it probably shows most in in times where he'll get ready to back someone down uh, on one of the wings. And then you can tell the defenders getting ready, like, okay, I got to be ready for him to back me down. So they start to kind of, I guess, flex a little bit and get ready to take a beating. And then that first time, instead of him backing down, it's just a spin and he's gone. Like he is just absolutely gone and he'll get to the rack. So that's pace, strength. I mean, he just gets stronger and stronger every year. And one, you can physically see it with his body. Like you can see that, that he's getting stronger. There's more muscles. Uh, he's, he's more lean. His body fat is down to just a ridiculous uh, percentage. So uh, you can just see him growing into that. But I think the big thing there is there's not really people that can keep him out of the paint now. Like it, in the first couple of years, they'd be like, okay, if you get him on a point guard, like he can probably use his length um, and finish over them, but maybe they'd be able to get lower than him, push him out. And that's not the case anymore. And last year and the year before, it was, okay, now twos and threes can't keep him out. But sometimes, you know, if you get a bulldozing four, maybe that guy can keep him out. Now it's like centers can't keep him out. Like he he's fine kind of banging with those guys. And I think it really manifests itself at the rim where in those first couple of years, it, he would get to the rim, he'd get in the paint and then it would be a pump fake or he'd get pushed out and he would settle for a short hook shot. And that's just not the case anymore. He will pivot and pivot and pivot, and probably pump fake a couple of times and pivot again. And then it's going to end up in a dunk. And I think there was one to Aaron Baines earlier this year where Aaron Baines is a large man. <laughs> that is that is a big dude, and Giannis can just kind of handle it. Um, so you see the strength there, and then I think the balance, that's sort of also what I'm talking about, but just the ability, and I think his core strength is a big part of this, that now as he Euro steps, now as he pump fakes and, and works underneath the rim, he's able to kind of just take that bump wherever it may be and use his feet in different ways. And uh, his footwork has really improved, so he just kind of has a greater idea of how to control all of those things and have that balance. And then just from year to year, his progression, um, I wrote something last year and some of the, the Giannis stands disagree with me on this, but I said in his first year, once a week, he would make a play that would make you say, wow. In second year, it would be once a game. You would say, Wow. And then third year, it was once a quarter. You'd say, wow. And last year, it was once a possession. <laughs> and now now you're at a spot where you just watch him play and you can't really comprehend just how good this guy has become. So he's just gotten to a point where he knows how to use all of those incredible skills that it used to flash a little bit less consistently all the time. Like he's just that guy all the time now. Yeah, and to that point, when we spoke to Seku Smith from NBA Digital in our Eastern Conference preview this season, he referenced his conversation with Tracy McGrady, where T-Max said that the hardest thing about being a superstar is being counted on every single night on a consistent basis, never off nights. And Seku said that the next step in Giannis's progression would need to be 
to be able to put up these huge games and huge numbers on a more consistent basis. And this season, he is doing that. Before the season, Kevin Durant said that Giannis could eventually become the best player to ever play the game. Greg Popovich had comments on Giannis's progression. Now he plays to destroy you. So he's obviously attracting a lot of attention around the league. I want to highlight his defensive contributions now and evolution on that end. The Bucks defense seems to suffer when Giannis is resting. They have a 103.3 defensive rating with him on the court, which isn't great, but not too bad. But it drops to 117.7 points allowed per 100 possessions when he's on the bench. Can you speak to his contributions on that end? Sure. Uh, I think with this Bucks team this year, and again, I know I'm supposed to be talking about Giannis, but with Giannis and Chris Middleton, you'll see those same kind of on-off differences in the Bucks' defensive uh, rating. So it, it's been with both of them. Giannis, I think, is now a little bit more extreme than Chris is. But uh, essentially, it's just those two guys, when they're together, they can cover so much ground. They know the scheme so well in Milwaukee um, that they can really use it to their full advantage. And the scheme in Milwaukee is something that has gotten worse over the years. It's gotten worse during Jason Kidd's tenure. It's the same scheme, but it's being used against offenses that have changed vastly in those three to four seasons. So it's tough for me to quantify exactly um, what Giannis is defensively, because right now the Bucks are so help dependent. They help a lot. They overhelp really um, and just overload sides. They go for steals. They're very aggressive and it leads to kind of a, a helter skelter defense where you're trying to make teams as uncomfortable as possible, push them as late in the shot clock as possible. And it, it's just not something that's really seen a number of other places, but the fact that it can be good when Giannis is on the floor, I think speaks to what maybe his strengths are at this point, because for a while last year, I think through the first 45 games, Giannis was averaging over two blocks and over two steals a game. Uh, he ended up being short of that at the end of the year, 1.9 blocks and 1.6 steals. And he's short of that thus far this year with 1.8 blocks and 1.7 steals. But that just isn't something that people do. And with Giannis, I think what he's he's trying to figure out right now is how to have one of the league's biggest usages on offense and then also still be an effective defender. And it speaks to how impressive that he is that he can still put up those numbers. And I guess I don't want to narrow it down to just his chase down blocks, but when you think of Giannis getting a chase down block, I think that speaks to also what he can do in the half court is that he's starting to figure out instinctually when he can get a block, when he can't get a block, when he can get into a passing lane, when he can't get into a passing lane. Uh, and, and he can do all those things. And he, he's just still developing there. He's never been a great one-on-one -on -one defender. But as far as team defenders go in the NBA, I think he's got to be among the best in the league just because he can protect the rim to such an extent. I'd have to check the numbers on this. But I know last year, I think he was in the top 15 or so for rim protection numbers, any of those rim protection metrics that you'd see. And again, he was kind of playing small forward. He was kind of playing power forward. He's just kind of roaming all over the floor. Uh, and he was still able to have that type of impact. And obviously with steals, if you try to throw a skip pass against the Bucks and Giannis is in the middle of the floor, he's probably going the other way with it. 
like, like that that just kind of shuts down your ability to have a skip pass to have that quick swing like he is just so long and if he lets those arms out with that i don't even know what it is seven four seven five wingspan like you're just just really going to struggle. So um, he can really put it on you. And it's going to be fun to watch this Bucks team as they figure out more about Eric Bledsoe. They figure out how to use him. Because if you add Bledsoe in with Middleton and Adetokounmpo, you have a really long, quick, aggressive defense that, that has the potential to be a top 10 defense. But again, with the Bucks scheme, you'll have to see if they can actually get to that point and get the turnovers necessary and force the tough shots necessary for that. You had a recent feature about Giannis's basketball obsession. He seems to not be able to sustain any sort of hobby outside of basketball. He's so obsessed with it. He tried to take up chess as a hobby to give his mind a respite, but wasn't able to stick with that. He would often drive six miles in his game jersey to go to the practice arena, which used to be not contiguous to their home arena. How important has that perpetual focus been towards his continued improvement and his now greatness? I think it's huge. I've mentioned this to a couple people, and I'm happy that I could finally get him to talk about that a little bit this year. Because I've told people now for the last couple of years that he's a Kobe level lunatic. And, and what I mean by that is he's just totally obsessed with the game of basketball. Like he just can't think about anything else. And Kevin Garnett was in this past week uh, to help work out a little bit. And I was joking with Frank earlier this week that KG might be more of just a lunatic in that he's just always so intense and he just can't turn off that intensity. But with Kobe, like it's always just that insane focus, that insane will to get better, that no matter what, he's always working on something. And I just think it's huge for any great player in the NBA to be that focus and to be able to not have their attention diverted by I don't like a signature shoe, by fashion, making a bunch of money. If you want to be in a movie or a TV show, whatever it may be, like those things don't really interest him. And I just think it's huge for him. And the, just, just the conversation we had uh, when I wrote about it, I just remember it was last January. They had lost eight of nine. And Tony Snell had been on the team for like three months. And Tony Snell's a very quiet guy. I joked with him when I was writing this story that it was the first time I ever heard you talk. And in the locker room, he was just like telling you, I was like, no, man, like you got to be positive. We got to talk positive. Like we don't talk negative around here. And I just remember thinking like, whoa, that's the first time I've ever heard Tony Snell talk. And then two, like what could Giannis be saying right now? Because he wasn't saying it loud enough for any of us reporters to hear it. And then Tony was telling him about how he plays dominoes and that, that how he uses dominoes to take his mind off basketball, that for an hour two hours, whatever it may be, he can just sit with his friends and play dominoes and then never think about basketball. And when I was talking to Giannis about it, he said that he had tried doing that with chess and that every time he gets ready to move a chess piece, he says to himself, like, I'm thinking about basketball again. The only reason I'm doing this is to stop thinking about basketball. And I can't stop thinking about basketball, even while doing something that I know that I'm trying to stop thinking about it. And like, just to hear that that's kind of what his brain goes through. I think it kind of makes sense for the improvement that you've seen him go through. Um, just kind of the way that he'll answer questions, the way that he carries himself. Like this is a dude that 
cares about two things, basketball and his family and everything else. I think he can pretty much take it or leave it. Like I'm trying to think what game it was this year, but after one of the games, he put on his Instagram live, him and his mom at the Bucks practice facility. And his mom was like, either like holding a rope or like tossing a medicine ball at him or something like what <laughs> who does that like you are a lunatic like you are a total basketball lunatic that even after a game you're there and you made your mom come help you work out like, it's just crazy <laughs> yeah i think that was tremendous reporting by you to draw that information out of him though that made for a really entertaining fascinating read i want to focus now just briefly on a flaw of his or just an area that can be improved i think Obviously, no player is perfect. We can't even say that about LeBron James. Free throws. <laughs> but um, the perimeter is one area for him that he hasn't perfected yet. You referenced this earlier. That's mitigated by the fact that approximately two-thirds of his total points have been scored in the paint, which is just mind-boggling. But first of all, do you think – you can just say yes or no. Do you think Giannis has the ability to become a good three-point shooter? Ooh, that's one I've struggled with for a long time. Um, I will say yes, but I have major caveats, but you can continue. Okay, thanks. And you can address that on the follow-up. I'm also wondering what happens if and when he adds that to his game. Is it just over for every other team in the NBA? To me, the big thing with his shot is that he has so much more to work on other than his shot that I just don't know when he's going to take the time to focus on it because the last couple of media days, you'll get a chance to talk to him and obviously you get to have a longer conversation with him. And when you talk to him, you'll ask, okay, like, I mean, it's the same basic cliched media day question. Like, what did you work on this year? And I can't think of a time Giannis has ever said his outside shot. Last year it was, okay, I got to work on pick and roll playmaking and figuring out how to read the floor with five people because the year before they had moved to point Giannis. So three years ago, they did point Giannis during the second half last year. It it was just kind of, he's going to be more of a playmaker. So what his summer was spent doing was working on improving in those aspects. And when you watch his game, like he's getting better at those reads. Like you can tell he understands exactly what's going on the floor a a little bit better. Like he's not, He's not LeBron level yet, but you can see now when he's backing someone down, he can tell when a defender on the backside has been in the lane for 2.5 seconds and is getting ready to leave the lane. Like you can see he'll start to attack at those moments now. And that's not something he used to do. So there's just so many little things that he has improved on to get better as a basketball player. Like he's worked on so many of those things that, I'm sure he's working on his outside shot, but like as far as a level of importance to him, I think that is still pretty low. Once I think he figures out all of the intricacies that he's interested in figuring out as a playmaker, as a scorer, once he gets through all of those, then I think it is a summer of, I don't even know how many jump shots a day, an insane amount that no one should ever shoot. I'm sure that's how many Giannis would want to do. But at that point, that's when I feel like he starts to get a jump shot. Um, And I think maybe in the same way you saw LeBron develop in a similar fashion in that 
it was once he got into his eighth season and he's able to go to Miami and he was able to feel comfortable in all those other aspects that then was the moment where he decided like, okay, I'm going to make sure I can catch and shoot threes at 40%. I got to make sure that I can shoot threes at at a higher level. Maybe that isn't the way that you should develop as a player. Maybe it would be better for him and everything would be easier as a playmaker if he had a three-point shot and that was all he spent his time on. I think there's probably a compelling argument about which way of development would work better, um, but this seems to be the way that he's choosing. The reason I answer yes to he has the ability is he's insanely talented and he's a lunatic, so he would find a way to be able to shoot a jump shot. But my caveat is I don't know when that time is going to come. And frankly, he's pretty close to unstoppable now without one. So the the idea that, well, is it over for the rest of the league? Well, it's kind of over for much of the league now. Not the entire rest of the league, but for much of the league, you're you're not catching up. Stay tuned for more show after the break. Hey, this is Dave Zirin, sports editor at The Nation Magazine here on the NBA Hoops. I think even for people who are following Giannis's career closely and who do watch him a lot on the TV, fans might not necessarily be aware of his situation in his early life. As you referenced earlier in the show, his parents emigrated from Nigeria to Greece. Like a lot of immigrants, they often had difficulty finding work, which meant that as children, Giannis and his brothers had to help out a lot by selling sunglasses, watches on the street. And as a child of immigrants in Greece, despite being born in Athens until a few weeks before the draft, Giannis didn't actually have citizenship in any country, which meant he couldn't play for a national team. He couldn't even travel outside of Greece. So first, I want to ask you how that upbringing shaped his approach and his worldview, but also if you could address just before the season started, as you know, Giannis tragically lost his father suddenly to a heart attack. And from what you've seen, how he seems to be dealing with that loss, and if you know what kind of impact his father had and continues to have on his life. I think the upbringing is kind of reflected in, I think in a way to that basketball lunacy I referred to before, because with his parents, their goal was, and Giannis has referenced this, was to make sure that their children had a better life and that their children would be healthy and their children would be able to to live healthy and long lives. And they were 100% focused on that. That was all they cared about in life was making sure that was the case. And when you watch Giannis and hear him say that basketball and family are the two things I worry about, sure, you could you could hear those words and say, oh, yeah, I'm sure he does. But there's plenty of people that say stuff like that. There, there's plenty of people that say that that is how they live their life. But I think the difference with Giannis is he still lives in an apartment with his family. His mom still lives with him. His brothers still live with him. And granted, since he's gotten his $100 million contract, they've moved into a better place um, that has more room. But before his extension in Milwaukee, he was living in 
a relatively small apartment with his mom, his dad, and not all three of his brothers because one of them would have been gone, but with two of his brothers. So like they all lived like a, a pretty normal American family, maybe a, an upper to middle class American family, but they were still doing that. And Giannis was 20 years old and a budding NBA star. So you, you can just kind of tell that he totally lives that way. And I think it would be impossible to think that his early upbringing and what his parents did in, in being able to provide for Giannis and his brothers to be able to get them here to the States because Giannis was so good at basketball and because they were able to support him in ways that allowed him to play in those leagues. Like he he's just totally fueled by that. And I just think to me, Giannis doesn't make sense unless you know his story. It's difficult to imagine someone being wired in the way that Giannis Dedekumbo is wired. Unless you have that backstory with his father passing away before the season, it was something that obviously he was affected by. I, I think he took a, I think four or five days away from the Bucks during the preseason. It's not something Giannis has really talked about a lot. Uh, the only thing is after he scored 44 uh, against the Blazers, all of his teammates kind of made sure that he got the game ball and kind of told him like, hey, this is this is for your dad. And you, you went out and you totally represented him. And um, it, it was just kind of a, 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 obviously a moment and something where I, I can't imagine losing my father that soon before the season. And when you look at what he did this season, like he, he said that this season's for his dad and he's going to keep playing through it. But in the same way, I don't want to say nothing changes. Obviously his life has changed drastically, but his approach, all those things are still the same because now rather than helping provide for his mom and dad as they're in the States, he still has all of his brothers. Like he, he's still providing for them. He's still helping provide for his mom. Like his focus remains the same. Just it's, it's really difficult to imagine attempting to go through it. And, and I know for that night when he got that ball, he wrote on it, this is for daddy. We got a win tonight and I got 44 points. Mm -hmm. And you, you just know that someone that is that committed and focused on their family. I, I just can't imagine him of all people having to go through it. I mean, it would be bad for, it's bad for anyone to lose a, a parent, but it, it just be incredibly difficult going into the season. Right. And on such a public stage too. Yep. As we wind down here, changing gears briefly, the Bucks have gone 0-2 against the Cavaliers so far in pretty exciting games that featured big performances by Giannis and LeBron James. In those games, Giannis averaged 37 points per contest. Just amazing. Shot 72%. Almost every basket of his was in the paint, as we've been talking about. Related to that, I'd like you to assess his MVP chances this season and how good you think Milwaukee has to be for that to be a legitimate possibility. Man, that's a, that's a tough one. Uh, before the season, we always like to do over-unders on Lockdown Bucks. And the over-under I proposed was three and a half for Giannis's MVP finish. And I, I took the, I guess, under. I, I said that he would be a top three MVP finisher. And I, I guess my thinking at the time was 
a number of the the top candidates from last year had added more to their team. It had added really strong players. Like a guy like Harden might not be in the mix because Chris Paul is there. Um, obviously, that hasn't played out quite that way, but maybe his numbers do go down Harden uh, once Chris Paul comes around. Maybe they don't, and maybe he's able to put together a great season and still be in the MVP race. But I had said that there's probably three guys I thought that are the undisputed man, quote unquote, on their teams. And it was LeBron and it was Kawhi and it was Giannis. And obviously Kawhi has been out for a while. So maybe I'm not great at predicting uh, exactly for MVP races. But I mean, you just look at a 30-10, 4-2-ish and 2-ish season. Like those are MVP numbers. There's no doubt about it. And for me, I... I think the Bucks probably have to win 50. I just can't imagine a number lower than that. And even during media day this year, when asked about Kobe's tweet to him that said, I'm trying to think what it, it was like, give me mama mentality or whatever. And then Kobe said, it should be an MVP for you. When he was asked about that, even Giannis said like, well, you have to win 50 games. The only guy that hasn't won 50 was Russell Westbrook last year. So, that made me think that a Giannis MVP was a little bit more possible just because it's clear-ish that voters can think for themselves and not have a set criteria of boxes you have to check off that, okay, if you do this, 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 and this, you can be an MVP. That they're able to think about context and maybe move that criteria around when someone does something really incredible. So I think top three for Giannis feels right for me this season, but it's really to me all about what the Bucks do. If if they are a disappointment this season, and maybe before the Bledsoe trade, they were trending that way. But I think if they win, I mean, even forty eight might be enough to get him into that conversation because what he does night to night is just so jaw dropping. Before asking the last question, I really want to thank you for appearing. We wanted to just devote an entire episode to Giannis. And they said we couldn't do it. I don't know who they is in this (laughs) example, but we definitely did it with your help. It's been a pleasure. The last thing that I want to ask you is finally focusing more broadly on the team. The Eric Bledsoe trade got a lot of buzz around the league. And for good reason, it seems to be an important addition the Bucks are 4-1 and one since he's joined the team, including that disappointing loss to the Mavericks most recently. But when Bledsoe and Giannis are on the court together, and I know it's a, a limited sample size, 119 minutes so far, they've looked pretty good together, played strong defense as a whole. What do you see from that pairing, and how can he get them over the top potentially? And I, I don't know, people are going to get really excited, but also... Should we temper our expectations at this point? Or basically, how do you see the team going? As someone who has supported the Bucks, whether that is as a journalist, as a fan for his entire life, I would suggest always tempering your expectations for the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, if, there's one, if there's one lesson I've learned uh, throughout my life, it would be that one. But more seriously, yeah, I think the Bledsoe acquisition is a huge one. If there's one, I mean, there's a number of things that the Bucks are lacking, but one that for the last decade they just really haven't had is a super quick point guard that can 
get over the top of the screen, that can create for themselves, that can get into the lane at will, that can push the tempo. Like they just haven't had that guy. And as we've been talking about, the closest we can think of in the last 10 years is a guy like Ish Smith when he was the Bucks like second string point guard. That's as close as they've gotten since TJ Ford in the mid 2000s. So it's been a long time and that's just something the Bucks haven't had. And that, do, that doesn't say anything about Malcolm Brogdon and that he's a bad basketball player. That's just not the type of basketball player he is. He obviously fits very well with the Bucks. He's able to shoot threes, stretch the floor, play solid defense, but he doesn't have that upper end quickness that many NBA point guards do. So that is just something the Bucks haven't had. And that's something that Bledsoe gives them. It's just another weapon defensively one that can get over screens, make things harder, hopefully make that aggressive defensive scheme even more difficult to deal with. And also offensively, it's another person that can get into the lane that can keep Giannis from taking a beating like he had before Bledsoe got here. And I mean, he's still going to take a beating just because you can't score that many points in the paint and not get beat up. Uh, But the one word Giannis has kind of used since Bledsoe has been here is easy. Everything is easy. No matter what it is, there's a a guy that I can trust. There's a guy that can take some of the pressure off me that just makes things easier. And um, before the debacle in Dallas, there's some really strong signs that this is indeed easier for Giannis. You can use his gravity and you can run a pick and roll with Eric Bledsoe. You can put Giannis on the backside. You can you can do a lot of different things with him. And Bledsoe was the one that was making it easier. So in the last couple of years, we've seen them close games a lot with a point guard like Deli or Malcolm Brogdon. And they like to run pick and rolls or inverted pick and rolls with Giannis. And they're not always quite as dangerous when it's someone like Brogdon or Deli, but it's pretty dangerous with Eric Bledsoe coming off that screen. So um, I think it's definitely something that Bucks fans in general, and I guess NBA fans should be excited about because before the season, I think we'd heard some talk from the team about 50 wins and trying to get there um, and try to get to that spot and thinking they were real contenders in the Eastern conference. And before the Bledsoe deal, I don't know if I would have believed all of that after the Bledsoe deal. I believe it. I, I think it is a real possibility. Where Giannis is incapable of thinking about anything other than basketball, I really hope you can take a break from just thinking about Giannis and his tremendous impact this season so far for the Bucks, and just enjoy the rest of your weekend. I will definitely do that. Thanks a lot.